Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 2, the Minnesota Twins nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And wait a minute, did we win a series? We won the series against the Minnesota Twins, two games to one. We take the weekend series, man. The Twins have to just be, Minnesota fans just have to be, like, you know, kicking themselves. Like, what in the world do we have to do to beat the Guardians, basically? I mean, we did this to them last year, right? Minnesota might have been, arguably might have, you know, be the more talented team. And we just keep beating them. That's the whole point of that clip. When uh, Andres Jimenez gets that uh, that big walk-off hit against them at late in the season, and the Minnesota Twin and the Twins announcers just, like throw up their hands, like they're so sick of losing to us. Uh, we tanked their season last year, and uh, could we do it again? Could literally just beating up on the American League Central be the ticket again uh, back to the playoffs? So uh, I'd like to see a little more than that, because clearly, you know. We we got to be able to handle the East too. We you got it. You got to be able to handle the East and the West. You know, uh, got to run through everybody in the playoffs. But uh, it's still fun to beat up on our American League Central friends, and uh, we do it again. We win the series over the Twins. All right, let's get into it. Uh, we do have some emails uh, before we jump into the storylines. So keep filling up the inbox. It's fun. It's fun to hear your comments. Cleveland Baseball Mornings at gmail.com. It's that easy. Just snap off an email and uh, let me know what's going on. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, so first, we did get a follow-up email from Greg. Remember, Greg emailed the other day and told us about that he bought the May Ballpark Pass and uh, went to the game where Quan had the home run. Uh, so uh, I asked him, you know, do you, do you move around? Do you stay in the standing room only section? Because I, I would move around. So he did follow up a little bit with his experience. He said, uh, thanks for the shout out on the podcast. Wanted to answer your question. I usually try to get to the ballpark early and grab a spot in one of the first standing room rows right by the foul pole. And I actually really like the view. It's also a fun energy in that section. I usually make a few friends just talking about the game. Good idea to maybe sneak around and find another seat. But now that the game has moved so quickly, I feel like I can't even go to the restroom between innings or I'll miss something. So yeah, so imagine moving... Uh, trying to sneak down seats, you probably would just be stuck in that concourse for like a full inning uh, walking around the ballpark. Um, he didn't do the pass in April because of the weather, of course. Like, that's what we keep telling the Guardians. Like, you're not going to have good attendance in April. It's just not going to happen. Um, but he's got it for May. Uh, he also lives in Lakewood. He lives close by, so he takes the rapid down. I didn't think about that. Uh, parking. Like, yeah, okay, it's cool. To have this ballpark pass, right? For less than 50 bucks to go to every home game in a month. Then you also have to figure out how to park. How are you getting down there? That's That would add up. So uh, there are a few spots. If you know what you're doing, you know, Cleveland fans, uh, if you know what you're doing, there's a few spots where you can park for free on the street in Cleveland. But it's tough to find. And it's like after 6 p.m. or after 7 p.m. So it's it's tough to do. So, yeah, you would, uh, taking the rapid... Very smart call there, Greg. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that Greg's got a system. Uh, it's cool. It's cool. I'm glad you're enjoying some May baseball there, Greg. Uh, and then our other email uh, is from Tony. 
Uh, he just points out, last time Cal pitched, the Guardians went eight innings without scoring, then one in the top of the ninth. Today, they scored all their runs in the bottom of the first, but didn't score again. What an odd statistical quirk. Uh, yeah, he is not getting the run support. Last year, remember, he was like the top pitcher in our rotation when it came to run support. And Plesak was dying out there, right? We were averaging like less than a run a game. I, I don't know. I don't know the actual numbers, but it felt like we were averaging less than a run a game for Plesak and like five, six runs a game for Cal Quantrill. That's what it felt like last year. Uh, so, yeah, so this year maybe the, the run support's not really there for anybody. But, uh, yeah, Tony, that is that is weird that he has to go that many innings without the Guardians scoring a run on either side of those starts. So uh, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Greg, for the emails. And let's dive into the storylines of the game because the top storyline is Cal Quantrill took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. And, man, we've all been waiting. We've been waiting so long for a Guardians pitcher, for a Cleveland pitcher, I know, uh, for a Cleveland pitcher to throw a no-hitter. It just it hasn't happened since Len Barker. It hasn't happened. And uh, we have worn out that highlight of Len Barker and Rick Manning catching the ball in center field. We have worn out that highlight. We need a new highlight. We've come close. We've had some moments. We have been no-hit as a team so many times. We've seen so many pitchers celebrate a no-hitter on the mound at Progressive Field against us. We're due. We're absolutely freaking due. Was it going to be Cal Quantrill yesterday? Well, he, man, into the seventh inning, it was working for him. And, uh, man, Joey, uh, Alex Kirilov. Alex Kirilov with a single, with two outs in the seventh inning. He strikes out Polanco. He gets Buxton to ground out. And then Kirilov with a single, 93.8 miles per hour, Nice line shot, 14-degree launch angle. Just a nice line drive single. And, man, we just uh, we can't get there. We just can't get there. How many pitches did he throw to get through those seven innings? Uh, he threw 95 pitches. So he would have had to work to get all the way through nine innings, uh, being already at 95 pitches through seven. I mean, it would have been tough sledding, but the final line for him Seven innings pitched, one hit, no earned runs, three walks. So he did get into a little bit of trouble. Also had a hit batter, four strikeouts, including one pitch clock assisted strikeout on 95 pitches. Uh, he's hard hit six times. On the other side of things, Joe Ryan had a much busier day on the base paths, but he was able to limit damage. Six innings pitched, eight hits, two earned runs, no walks, four strikeouts on 100 pitches. He is also hard hit. Six times. So once again, a Minnesota Twins pitcher comes in here with a perfectly clean record, and we drop the first L on him. That's fun. Uh, I'll I dig that. So yeah, what was Cal Quantrill doing to go seven innings of no hit baseball? He does get into trouble in this second inning. Uh, it was ground. It was ground outs were helping. I'll tell you that much. He hits Byron Buxton, who dropped into the four hole. Man, they moved their lineup around. I think there were three different cleanup hitters over the three games. They really mix up their lineup. Unlike the Guardians, who did finally. They did finally mix up the lineup. We'll talk about it. Straw batting second. Uh, 
Gabriel Arias in there at shortstop instead of right field in this one. Uh, but he hits Buxton in the second. He walks Kirilov. He walks Gallo. You're like, oh, oh no, this is not good. I mean, we had just scored two runs in the top of the first. We're like, this is this is not good. Base is loaded. The thing about the Minnesota Twins is with one swing of the bat, you, you walk somebody and put someone on base with one swing of the bat, they very easily can tie a game up or take a lead if you load the bases. Now, luckily, Jose Miranda pops out to short. It's the infield fly rule. Uh, and then Nick Gordon uh, would ground into a double play. Speedy runner Nick Gordon. And uh, a great turn by Andres Jimenez. Uh, or a great, a great pick, a great fielding by Andres Jimenez. The flip to shortstop. A great turn by Gabriel Arias. He rifles one. I think the postgame article, which was not written by Mandy Bell. Someone was subbing for her this weekend. I think the postgame article said the throw back to first. They clocked at 80 miles per hour. Uh, so a real rifle there from Gabriel Arias back to first to get the center fielder, Nick Gordon, uh, and double him up and get Cal out of that. Bases loaded, nobody out situation. He gets out of it and doesn't give up a hint. I guess Nick Gordon isn't that speed. He's only in the 57th percentile when it comes to sprint speed. Did he used to be faster? Uh, let's jump back. No, 60, in 2022, he was only in the 61st percentile. Uh, 2021, 71st percentile. So, okay. Uh, the former first-round pick of the Minnesota Twins, number five overall in 2014, the 27-year-old. I guess not, for a center fielder, maybe not the fastest guy, but they're able to double him up. And uh, it was a great defensive play. Like, I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't an extraordinary, like nobody had to make this a Superman effort uh, to turn the double play. I guess it was kind of a kind of a standard double play there, but it still had to be turned very quickly to pull it off. So Quantrill gets out of it and then cruises. And yeah, it was ground balls. I mean, three ground balls in the first inning. Uh, the ground ball double play here. In the third inning, two more ground outs. The thing about these ground outs, though, they were hitting him hard to start the game. I mean, Max Kepler leads off the game with a 111-mile-per-hour exit velocity ground out. It would be the hardest hit ball of the entire day at 111 there. Uh, then Correa with a 104-mile-per-hour ground out. Uh, in, the, uh, in the third inning, uh, Kepler grounds out again at 106.5, and Correa grounds out at 108.8. So these things are smoked. I mean... The expected batting averages in the first inning, the first ground out from Kepler had a 590, and Correa's at a 430. So the defense holding strong from the Guardians infield. And with Gabriel Arias in there at shortstop, probably their best defensive alignment that they could throw out on the field, right? Ramirez at third, Arias at short, Jimenez at second, and Naylor at first. That's probably their toughest defensive infield that they could put out there. And it works. It holds up. All right, so let's talk specifically about Cal Quantrill. Yes, he was getting the ground balls, but what was he actually doing? What was different about this day than all other Cal Quantrill starts? He mixed up his pitches. He was only 66% of the time sinker cutter. He, uh, he threw 40 sinkers, 23 cutters, 12 curveballs, 11 splitters, and then nine change-ups. 
So, uh, you know, the speed between that splitter and the changeup is pretty similar. They both uh, come in around 86, 87 miles per hour. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the brake on them is pretty much the only difference. Not by much. Not by much. Uh, I get a little more vertical break from that splitter. I don't know how stack has the spin on the ball. Is that how StatCast is telling these two pitches apart? Uh, the changeup averages about 15,000, uh, 1,500 RPM uh, spin, whereas that splitter averages just over 1,000 RPM rotations per minute. So maybe that's the difference. Because uh, StatCast has to be picking up on something to tell the difference between these pitches. And if it's not speed... And if it's not break, which they both break a little over 30 in vertical inches, right around 12, 13 horizontal inches. So if it's not break, then it's got to be the spin. That's what. That's how StatCast is picking it up and differentiating between the splitter and the changeup. Because you, you, someone could throw a split change, right? That, that, that's a pitch out there. So it is a style of changeup. Uh, so yeah, so he throws Five pitches on the day. And we were, I mean, remember early in the season, he was up around over 80%, close to 90% sinker cutter. And it makes those pitches a lot more effective when you have other things coming off him. Now, he doesn't light up the strike zone. He does what he does. He pitches almost exclusively to the arm side of the plate, righty or lefty. He's got one zone, but mixing up these speeds at least, mixing up these looks at least challenges those hitters and keeps them off the cutter, off the sinker. The average exit velocity off a sinker, his main fastball, was only 84.2 miles per hour. That's great. That's that's really good right there. Um, you know, also got 21 foul balls on the day, mostly because, you know, changing, mixing up pitches keeps them off balance a little bit. Uh, they did hit the cutter hard when they did put it in play, but they only put it in play twice. One was at 104, one was at 96.1. They only put the cutter in play twice. On 10 swings, they actually whiff four times on the cutter. It's a 40% whiff rate on that pitch, which is nice. Uh, three whiffs on the sinker, and then three whiffs on that splitter. A 38% whiff rate. That's decent numbers. Remember, he was down at like a 14% whiff rate? Well, now he's up to a 22% whiff rate in this game. That's getting close to respectable right there from Cal Quantrill. Uh, so yeah, so mixing up the pitches is nice to see. Let's go back to the illustrator here and anything we want to look at for Cal Quantrill. If we want to look at the, uh, swinging strikes, it's a, just a, it's a mix of four different pitches here and just kind of working up and down that arm side of the plate. One cutter, uh, he threw across to the glove side. On an 0-0 count, he got Jose Miranda to go way out of the strike zone and chase a cutter. But other than that, he's just pounding that arm side of the plate. And it's a few splitters, it's a few sinkers, it's a few cutters, and one change. So, yeah, so like, like I said, mixing it up. If we look at just in-play outs, just everything they put in play, whether it's a ground out, a pop-up to the infield, a, a fly out, it's just a mix of pitches. You got about seven sinkers mixed in there. You've got uh, five curveballs mixed in there. So they were putting the curveball in play often with very little success, you know, making a lot of outs on the curveball. Two cutters, one splitter, and one changeup mixed in there. So there's there's 
Nothing specific. There's not one thing where I can say, yeah, that's what he did. That's what Cal Quantrill did on the day. Uh, the one hit he gives up is on a changeup to Kirilov. A 1-0 changeup uh, that kind of sits at the thighs, catches a lot of the plate. Uh, but at 1-0, he probably thought he had to come into the strike zone with one. And uh, Kirilov is able to shoot that one, like we said, for a line drive single. So that's the one hit he gives up is on the changeup. So it's a pretty good... It's a pretty good day for him. It's a very good day for him out there. Um, the strikeouts come. Uh, Polanco goes way out of the strike zone on a 3-2 count and chases a high cutter to the arm side of the plate. Uh, Joey Gallo uh, chases an 0-2 splitter. I remember that one. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, I wonder if... Because one of these guys strikes out on a pitch clock violation, and that's I'm hoping that's not showing up here. I'm hoping they don't just assign a pitch to it or something like that. Uh, but the the Gallo one was to, uh, I believe, to kick off the fifth inning. Uh, after, uh, let me go back to the uh, scoreboard here. I believe Gallo's was to kick off the fifth inning after that pitch clock violation ended the fourth inning. Uh so let's see here. The end of the fourth inning. Yeah, Kirilov goes down on a strikeoff. I think that was the pitch clock violation there. And then Gallo strikes out to start the fifth. Because it was first strikeout of the game was on a pitch clock violation. And again, uh, I, I kind of got into this argument with my brother. And he's like, oh, like, that rule is so dumb. The eight seconds. Like, the pitcher's not even on the mound. And I'm like, is it? Is the rule that dumb? Like, you, you kind of have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. And they maybe arbitrarily picked eight seconds. But it's the same for every hitter. They they know the drill. Just stay in the stay in the box. Like, it's one of those things. I hate to be that guy because, believe me, uh, I broke a lot of rules in uh, middle school and high school. I got a, I got a lot of detentions. But uh, some rules are made to be broken. But this one just seems... It seems reasonable. It's like again, offensive holding. Just don't hold, and it won't be a problem in football. Okay, don't don't get out of the batter's box. Just stay there, stay ready, and it won't be a problem. Uh, I if if it were like three seconds or something like that, then the pitcher would be standing there on the mound waiting to throw. Then have to rush off a pitch or have a violation on themselves. Like it just. It seems if you if you shorten that time frame or took away the eight seconds, it would cause some kind of other awkward situation. Like the fact that like just get in the batter's box and be ready so we could just keep playing the game seems fair, right? It was, the whole point is let's just keep playing. Let's not stand around. So uh yeah, I, I don't think the rule needs to be changed. I think they just the hitters just need to continue to adjust to it and I think it'll fade into the background, right? Um, so yeah, so he gets Gallo on that uh, on that splitter away, and it was a that was a nice pitch. That was that was a real nice strikeout from Quantrill there. And then the uh, the seventh inning to end things, he locks up Jose Miranda, just looking at a curveball at the top of the zone on an 0-2 count, just mixing up the pitches. Look at it, locks up Jose Miranda there. He can't put the bat bring the bat off his shoulder. And uh, gets a nice strike off there, strike out there. So, um, yeah, uh, that's what Cal Quantrill was doing on the day, mixing up 
pitches. Looking at the uh, the count breakdown, I was you know one of the things I like to look at is the radial there to see the launch angle and a lot of ground balls here um, from Cal Quantrill. Uh, there's really one ball that Kirilov singles that one in that sweet spot there, that kind of line drive sweet spot of the radio. And he's got a lot of things down around the zero plane and a lot of things up around the 45 degree plane, the fly ball pop out plane. Uh, and then moving over to the uh, count breakdown, wasn't necessarily working ahead of everybody. Uh, you know, plenty of guys start out 1-0, but kind of always brought it back. Always brought it back to his side of the count and back into a pitcher's count. Three guys get to 2-0. Uh, one person gets to 3-0. Uh, worked a lot of full counts. Uh, six full counts. Six hitters get to full counts on him. A lot of at-bats ended at 2-2. And... What was nice is that to start things off, he was about 48% sinkers to start things off, but did use all five pitches to start an at-bat at some point in the game, but mostly would start sinker. And then when he got ahead, he he would start mixing in those pitches, mixing in a lot of 0-1 curveballs and stuff like that. And then on the 2-2 counts, uh, really threw a lot of different pitches. Through five splitters in two two counts, through two cutters, through one changeup, through three curveballs, and two sinkers. So wasn't relying on his fastball in those two two counts. Really mixed it up and mixed in a lot of pitches. Uh, if he did get behind, if he started one zero, he went to the cutter. It seemed like fifty five percent of the time he would throw cutter in a one zero count. So uh, that's. Again, mixing up pitches was the key to the day for Cal Quantrill. All right. The other storyline in this game is the Guardians. I couldn't say the Guardians offense really got rolling in this one, but they did have a really nice first inning. And and that's the thing about this style of play. I mean, think how hard the Guardians had to work in this first inning. You needed four singles in this first inning. A lot of them threw the hole in the right side. And uh, it's a lot of work to get all these hits. And the Twins, you know, a couple guys walked throughout this game. So they did have base runners on not, actually not that many innings. They walk in the second and then the seventh inning. He gives up a walk to Gallo. But that's after Kirilov had already broken up the no-hitter. Either way, the Twins are, are really one swing away from jumping back into that game, cutting your lead in half or tying the game up. Or taking the lead with the bases loaded in the second inning. Like, two runs can evaporate really quickly against the Minnesota Twins. And they could do it on one swing. Whereas it took you four swings to get that done in the first inning. It's it's a lot of work to play this way. And they're just not... Remember a few weeks ago, right? They had a really nice game where they scored in like four different innings. That's what we need. Even if you're just scratching across one run. You, you know, you walk, you steal a base, someone gets a hit, boom, you got to run across. And that's enough for an inning. Like, they they need some more of those innings throughout the game. They can't go this quiet after scoring two runs. It's not enough offensively to support that starting pitcher. And they get lucky on this one that Quantrill goes as long as he does without giving up a hit. But the first inning was still fun. It was still a fun inning. So uh, let's go through it real quick and uh, talk about the uh, the effort the guys put out there. 
Quan leads things off. He gets all fastballs. Um, and on the third pitch, first one's a called strike. Then he fouls a bunt attempt off. And then the third one, man, Ryan's just firing him down the middle of the plate. And uh, he shoots a single on a pitch that's middle up. He shoots a single into center field, 93-mile-per-hour exit velocity, 15-degree launch angle, a perfect little single up the middle for Quan. All right, he's on base to kick things off. Straw comes up. Uh, man, he fights off an inside pitch and is able to shoot a ground ball into right field. I mean, found the perfect spot in the infield. This only had a 270 expected batting average. It's only 82.1 mile-per-hour exit velocity. This thing is in on his hands. How does he fire this thing off to right field? This is not the kind of pitch I would recommend going opposite field with. But Straw gets it through somehow. Uh, you know, they were playing in pretty shallow and right. So uh, Quan has to stop at second. They would start going first to third after this. Jose Ramirez uh, fouls off a splitter at the knees, takes a four seam fastball away, and then he comes back with another splitter again. Not the pitch I would pull into right field. It's a splitter on the outside edge. And Ramirez goes all the way out. And he hits this thing at 102.8 miles per hour. So he jumps on this one. And maybe the difference between the four-seam fastball, because he's always sitting. Ramirez is always hunting fastball. That speeds up his bat here. And he's able to pull this thing, even though it's a splitter down and away. which is, That's a hard pitch to pull. Uh, he shoots it, though, through to right field. And uh, Quan comes in to score. Uh, a straw goes first to third, which is big because it means they have to hold the runner Ramirez on base, right? He's a threat to steal at that point, so they got to stay there. Uh, Naylor would pop out to short, unfortunately, but bring up Josh Bell, and he jumps on the first pitch splitter. Uh, man, Ryan changed his approach. He was going a lot of fastballs, and then he really started mixing in these splitters uh, to Naylor and Bell. First pitch splitter right down the middle of the plate up. I, I'm guessing you don't want a splitter there. You want that splitter dropping down at the knees. You don't want it up above the belt. And he jumps at it at 101.4 miles per hour. He shoots it through to right field through that same hole between first and second. Three hits in a row to that same spot. And uh, Straw comes in to score. Ramirez goes first to third. Unfortunately, that's where things would end. Uh, Jimenez would fly out to shallow left field. Uh, Ramirez can't go anywhere. And then Arias would ground out. Works a seven pitch at bat. Arias had a good offensive day. Was working long at bats, uh, but unfortunately he grounds out here with runners on base. He would end up having a two hit day, including a double uh, for Gabriel Arias. So he did have a decent offensive day. Two hard hit balls and three at bats. Uh, But unfortunately, the one with runners on, he can't come through with the hit. So the rally ends right there. And then Ryan Ryan locks in. He he does give up some more hits, like we said. Uh, give up a double to Arias, but uh, limits the damage. Uh, gets a couple of strikeouts in the second inning. Uh, shuts him down one, two, three in the third. Uh, a two-out double to Arias in the fourth, but then Brennan would fly out. So that helps limit the damage. Uh, it's a one-out single by Quan in the fifth. Uh, but uh, Straw would line out, and Ramirez would ground out, uh, so we can't advance anywhere. A one-out single by Bell in the sixth. Uh, they actually had two hits. They threatened again in that sixth inning. Arias with another single. They had two men on, but Brennan would strike out to end that threat. I know with uh, 
With Oscar Gonzalez gone, that means a lot more at-bats for Will Brennan. They're, they're hoping Brennan can lock in with some regular playing time, but he's only hitting 183 right now. It's not going well for Will Brennan. Uh, hopefully Gonzalez, hopefully playing every day down in Columbus. I didn't see the box score. I know he was hitting cleanup for Columbus last night. Hopefully playing every day down there for Oscar Gonzalez helps, right? Gets the beat up on some AAA pitching and kind of finds his swing again. Because I don't think any of us have given up on Oscar Gonzalez. But he definitely needs to find it again, right? Uh, and man, Brennan is Brennan is close to being on his heels. Uh, it's not 183 is not a great batting average right there. And uh, I think we can all agree on that. And uh, hopefully some regular playing time. He finds that contact swing again, right? Man, it'd be, it'd be weird. I, so I know we got into this about the slugging percentages of our outfield. To have three just contact approach outfielders out there, basically three center field types out there, it's a weird way to play. I'm not going to lie. It'd be nice to have some slugging in right field, some power out there. But, hey, I'll, I'll take some rallies. Like, if we could do what we did last year and get a couple of rallies going throughout a game, and get a couple of runs scratched across. I'll take it. We don't have another base runner after Aria singles in the sixth. We go one, two, three in the seventh, and one, two, three in the eighth. So uh, it's all on the pitching with that two-run lead. Karinchek actually comes in in the eighth inning. Uh, I was surprised because he did have to face uh, the lefty. Uh, I think he faced the lefty Kepler in there in the F eighth inning. So. Uh, I'm guessing Hench is coming back from injury. They didn't want to put him out there two days in a row. He is your only lefty. But uh, he gives Karinczak another high leverage spot, an eighth inning hold, and Karinczak comes through in this one. Uh, he uh, strikes out Nick Gordon. He walks Vasquez, Christian Vasquez. I guess walking the slow catcher uh, if you're going to walk anybody. Then the top of the lineup comes around, and he gets Kepler to fly out, and he gets Correa to line out at 110.5 miles per hour, the second hardest hit ball of the day. But it's his line out for uh, Correa to the outfield, and uh, Karinczak gets out of it. And then Klasse, uh in the ninth inning, uh, strikes out Polanco, gets Buxton to pop out. He does walk Kirilov before getting his old best friend, the ground ball. Joey Gallo grounds out to end things. So... Uh, shuts the door again for his league-leading 12th save from Emmanuel Classe. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes maybe that points to the fact that the Guardians have played a lot of close games, and he's gotten a lot of save opportunities. So sometimes leading the league in saves is a good thing. You know, Maybe by the end of the season, it's nice to lead the league in saves. This early in the season, it shows that your team is in a lot of tight games. Uh, so yeah, that's what went down in this one. Uh, man, the pitching really, really saved the offense in this one, let's just say, right? They really went to work against this Minnesota Twins lineup. Finally held the Twins homerless for the first time. They break the 18-game homer streak for the Minnesota Twins. And yeah, if you can keep the Minnesota Twins in the ballpark, you've got a pretty good chance at beating them. So, that's all my thoughts on this one. It's so nice to win a series again. And we got an opportunity again, but we're facing a hot team, the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I don't know if you missed it, but the Tigers uh, had left us in the standings. They they had slipped into second place, and we had slipped down to third. Uh, they lost yesterday, so we jump uh, a half game back ahead of them. But another, this is this is gonna be a tough American League Central. The the Detroit Tigers are playing some decent baseball. 
And uh, they beat us in the series last time when we were in Comerica. So uh, it's going to be another, uh, it's going to be a good challenge. It's, let's just say that. It's going to be a good challenge. They've got another struggling pitcher, but a lefty coming up. Uh, they've got two lefties in this series that we're going to have to deal with. Uh, but again, remember we we got through a stretch where like we had guys with plus five ERAs coming in, looking spectacular against us, turning their season around against us. There's another situation where Wentz, the left-handed pitcher for Detroit, is 0-3 with a 667 ERA, struggling on the season. Let's not let him turn his season around facing Cleveland. Let's continue to beat up on this guy, and let's see if we can balloon that ERA even more. He's going up against maybe the ace of our staff, Tanner Bybee, at this point. Uh, so Bybee uh, is going to kick things off. Then Bieber is going against Lorenzen uh, on Tuesday. And then some day baseball on Wednesday. It's going to be Battenfield back out there against the lefty Rodriguez, who is pitching very well. 3-2 and two with a 181 ERA. Uh, and what we just showed against this Minnesota Twins team, if you're coming in hot as a pitcher, we also uh, can change your season for you a little bit. So we'll see what we do against Rodriguez in that sparkling 181 ERA. So that's the series coming up against the Tigers. And, hey, a key to a lot of Cleveland you know, winning seasons over the last uh, 10 years, you know, through the Lindor era, uh, and into the Ramirez era, let's just call it, uh, has been beating up on the Detroit Tigers. I mean, there, there were seasons where the Tigers literally could not beat us. And it helps a lot. Uh, so we need to continue to beat up on the American League Central and rack up these wins when we can get them. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Thanks for emailing in uh, and joining the conversation and sharing a little bit about your experience uh, down there at the ballpark. Uh, from Greg and Tony. So uh, the final again from Cleveland, it's the Guardians 2, the Twins nothing. More importantly, in the series, it's Guardians 2, Twins 1. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. Nobody's done it yet this season, but if you want to go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>